the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. This season of Going There is brought to you by the fine folks at the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson, who never stop working to create a future where disease is a thing of the past. This month's episodes, focused on LGBTQ mental health, are specially presented by iMe, created by Hope Lab. iMe Guide is a free, research-backed mental health tool built for and with the LGBTQ teens looking for support and help in affirming their identity and learning practical ways to cope with stress that is helpful, relevant, inclusive, and joyful. Find it at iMe Guide. That's the letters imi.guide. Today, we are talking with Crystal and Alyssa Ramirez, Katie Henderson, and McKenna Petty of the band The Aces. The Aces' first album, When My Heart Felt Volcanic, was described as unbearably catchy and nothing less than bloody brilliant. And the single, Fake Nice, off that album, was labeled as perhaps one of the best pop songs of the year. And then their second album, Under My Influence, was described simply as pure pop perfection. The Aces just dropped a new single, Girls Make Me Want to Die, and are kicking off a North American tour starting in July. So check out their music and upcoming tour on their website, theacesofficial.com. Now on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And one of the issues that the Aces talk about in this episode is the effect of community on the mental health of LGBTQ plus people. Several members of the band talk about their own experience coming out as gay in a community in which they experienced extremely damaging bias and discrimination. And the band talks about how, in order to cope with this discrimination, they needed to live a, quote, double life in their head. So instead of being able to talk about and explore sexuality openly, they had to almost split their mind. There was the one part that understood that they were gay. And the other that had to be careful not to let those natural feelings come through in any way or risk facing bias and discrimination. Now, at first, this technique can be a very powerful coping strategy for people who realize that they are gay but have not come out yet. But what the band talks about is how over time this approach can limit one's ability to authentically express their identity and sexuality. And having this double life in their head can be incredibly stressful and damaging to their mental health. 
and the band talks about how they eventually did find the strength and community to come out and lead an openly gay life. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. On the Consequence website and wherever you find these episodes, you'll also find a short questionnaire. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to see addressed. We incorporate these responses into episodes, as well as a monthly column called Ask Dr. Mike on the Consequence website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what the aces have to say. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Going There. Hi. What's up? Hi. So let's get started with talking about a new song that you guys have coming out, which is Girls Make Me Want to Die, if I have that title correctly. So why don't you guys tell me about that song? Yeah, Girls Make Me Want to Die is uh, the first single we put out in a year. Um, and it's the start of this new era for the Aces. We're really excited about it. And it's kind of just about like when you, you know, when you're young and you're a teenager and, and three out of four of us are, are queer and kind of that like unrequited love that you feel. I feel like it's like a very common experience for young queer people to, you know, be falling in love with their best friends or, you know, whatever. And, and it's hard being queer because it's not always reciprocated and, or you're not out. So you can't really express that. And so we wanted to like talk about that. It's a bit of very real experience for, for us. And um, I think it's also, even if you're not queer, it's just a very real experience to like have those like young, uh, you know, obsessions and, and crushes and these feelings of like unrequited longing. So that's what girls make me want to die is about. Now, unrequited love is a, is a, pretty intense topic for young people in general but what you're talking about are layers of potential stress you know you're talking about not being sure what your sexuality is perhaps maybe not being out not knowing what the other person's sexuality is whereas in a a more traditional sense like sometimes people feel like oh okay well i know who i like and i kind of think i know who the other person likes it's already difficult in that sense but now you're talking about like really extra levels of stress. And maybe we could just talk a little bit about how that makes it harder, potentially. Oh, it's way harder. It's so much harder because everyone, when you're in high school, or you're in junior high, or whatever, that's like such a pivotal point for you to figure out who you are and, and kind of like the first, you know, time you're dating and, and, and trying things for, you know, out relationships and friendships and all these things for the first time and being queer and being in a place maybe where it's not safe to be out or you're closeted or whatever adds like this whole level of just like headiness to it because there's no way to actually express that. You know, I, you, and you're watching your friends get to express their crushes and get to express, you know, their desires and, and, and hook up and all these things. And you don't get to do that. You know, I think we came from a really conservative religious town. So there was a lot of like, that longing and those emotions that were just kept very secret because they weren't allowed to be expressed. And if they were expressed, it was not going to be, you know, socially a very safe place for you. Yeah. Which made the whole thing feel extremely high stakes too, because it was kind of one of those things where it's like, if you, you know, did come out or, you know, express your feelings to, you know, another girl or, you know, someone of the same sex that, wasn't into that and and felt scared of that or 
or freaked out by that, you could end up in a bad situation. And at least in the town we grew up in, you know, we grew up in a really conservative, homophobic town. So like that could have been detrimental to our social life, everything. It felt really high stakes to feel that way. And, you know, expressing that and getting, expressing that could have led to a lot of backlash and a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. So it's very layered for sure. Like you said, I think like the queer love experience is a very layered thing, especially when you're not out and especially depending on where you come from and where you, where you are when you're experiencing those things. So that was something that all three of us, me, Katie and Elisa went through was just that kind of like, you know, that internal like dialogue and, and figuring that out and, and having these feelings that you couldn't really publicly express at all. And, what did that mean? And, you know, then you're like 10 times more in your head because you can't really uh, bounce that off anybody. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really loaded experience, but I also think it's like a very beautiful experience and getting to feel that kind of love for the first time is just like one of the best things in life for anybody, you know, that kind of like first desire and that first longing is really special. I grew up in the same place as them and it's like a really intense place to grow up but there's like a lot of pressure to be a certain way there's a there's a lot of judgment and I just like that is like a whole extra layer of like not only it you know maybe being safe in your direct circle but just like culturally and community wise it's like a really intense place to grow up in that way too can we I think for people who have not been through that kind of stress it's hard to articulate what it would be like to grow up in a place where something so fundamental to who you are is not accepted and even there may be even some kind of like threat or whatever it may be can you guys just talk about how those messages got conveyed in terms of the idea that like hey it's not okay to like girls Pretty much just like that. Like people just basically were are pretty upfront about it, you know, in small towns. I feel like where we're from, also a lot of places in the south, you know, pretty much I, I would honestly say a lot of places outside of the metropolitan cities of the United States feel this way. And it's it people aren't shy about it, you know. When you grow up in a town like that, people are just straight up homophobic. They use slurs, they are outright about being very vocal that they don't think that gay people are okay and they don't think being gay is okay and they don't think any form of queerness is okay and you just hear that your whole life growing up you know whether you know you see something on the tv and people you know audibly express disgust or or disapproval and then just being at school too you know kids using all kinds of slurs you know and and saying oh that's gay or this is gay or whatever and you know also people being like no homo like oh you're gay whatever like blah 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 like it's conveyed in all kinds of ways. It's just, it's not, you know, passive. It's very actually aggressive the way that people conveyed being outwardly homophobic and growing up where we did. Like growing up to, you know, when you are having those feelings and, you know, you're still just like maturing and trying to figure out who you are as a person and like struggling with something that feels like you can't talk to anyone about. And then having like TV shows and movies making very like intense jokes about something that you feel really insecure about is really hard to grow up with. And I remember, you know, like, and like, I know we've all had experiences young, you know, with girls that you liked or whatever, and it being very, you know, I had friends who were like 
do you like her and like making it like really yeah. hard and almost like, as like a threat you know yeah, it's like, like yeah are you a lesbian like yeah. as like this and it's like well when you say it like that yeah it's like I don't I mean I don't want to be if you're gonna say it like that at me you know what I mean it's like yeah it's just a message that gets conveyed really really well and I think you know we're also from I don't know if we've mentioned we're from Utah um, and so it's a very religious place. And also I think a lot of the homophobia stems off of that religion and the religion, you know, the core center of that religion is like around the uh, heterosexual family. And so th- that, you know, you're very ostracized from the community because that's what people do in that town is they get married young and they have kids and, um, queerness doesn't fit into that mold, mm-hmm. um, at all. So, so yeah, I think it's just something that is innate in the culture. Well, that's kind of why like what I love a lot about this new song we're putting out is it's told in the way of like, like someone's just telling their story personally, which, you know, growing up that way feels very secretive. It feels very like, it's just you in your head going through this experience of like being so in love with someone that no one, no one knows about. And I love how like the lyrics are very much kind of you in your own head that way. And kind of it, it captures that, feeling of being so secretive no one knows no one knows around you and like you kind of can't even really admit it to yourself yeah we really wanted to depict that experience growing up queer you know a lot of young queer experiences are you know they happen in private and you're kind of forced to be really private and almost living in your own little universe and and living this little kind of you know double life just in your head and you know that was something that was really real for us growing up so we couldn't help but tell that you know, when we were reconnecting to our younger self, you know, we wanted to be, I mean, across this whole record, you're going to find this, but specifically on this song, you know, this was uh, us connecting to our younger selves and being at a point in our lives where we can, you know, actually articulate what that experience was, you know, being 16, being closeted, being in love, being scared, and kind of what the motions of that was. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we were trying to do with this song was tell that story of like, what was it like for 16 year old Crystal Ramirez to be in love, closeted and excited, but scared, you know, it's a, it's a tortured song. And I think a lot of, I think there's a lot of young queer people that can relate to, I think there's a lot of teenagers in general that can probably relate to this song, you know, despite where your sexuality is, but uh, specifically young queer people, I think can really relate to this story. And what, you're all talking about it, it sounds I mean I think the the term you use is torturous if I'm remembering correctly like it's just this idea that something that is so simple you know there's there's a huge difference between saying to someone are you a lesbian and like oh hey are you a lesbian I mean that's the exact same question with an entirely different set of connotations and okay. and it, I, I think that if you guys could talk about you know, now you guys are where you are and you're out and you're, you know, you're, you're advocates. And, and so there's, there's a strength there, but how on earth did you deal with that back then, not knowing that any of that would potentially happen? Because you could have gone in a very different direction, like a lot of people do. And just says, I'm, I'm going to try as best as I can to suppress this for as long as I can. I think there was definitely, you know, in high school, for me, at least, like there was a trial period of like really trying to suppress how I felt. I don't know. For whatever reason, I think the three of us, we, we couldn't suppress it. I think some people are able to do that longer. I think for me, once I got out of high school, I was just like, I have two options. I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life or I'm not. Yeah. So what, what like, you know, and that was like a real moment of like an expression of self-love for me to be like, 
and this is scary and I don't know what this means, but I do know it's very real for me. I know I'm, I know I'm gay. So I have to figure that out. I have to give it a shot. I have to figure out what that means for me, or I'm just going to live in this, you know, in this forever wondering, suppressing pit that I, that I don't want to be in, you know? And I think that it took that like real courage, but honestly, that courage could have never came if I didn't see an artist like Tegan and Sarah, they completely changed my life. I was, I would have, I would not be the person I am today unless I found them, you know? And it was through a, a dear friend of ours, uh, Tyler Glenn from the Neon Trees, who's an out and proud gay man. And uh, he kind of mentored me when I was younger and he showed me Tegan and Sarah. And I wasn't even out at that point. And I think he had like a bit of a sixth sense, you know? He was like, I think you're going to really like Tegan and Sarah. And I started listening to them and my whole world was just changed. I just like, immediately I was like, oh, the, here are two women that are out and proud, really smart, really talented musicians, living a life that I want, being successful and being out and getting to talk about their love on stage publicly. And people love them for that, you know, they're fans. And until I saw that, I, I don't think I could have ever thought that I could be in this band, that I could be out, that I could be. But when I saw that, you know, I was like, okay. There was like that little glimmer of hope of like, okay, they did it. So maybe I could do it. And then that slowly started building and building and building. And then us together, you know, coming out to each other eventually and lifting each other up. And so that's why I think, you know, we're so, it's so important to us to get to like talk about this stuff and to get to make music that's outwardly queer because it saved our band. It saved my life, honestly, without ours like that. Like, I don't know who I'd be. I don't know where I'd be. I don't know the type of person I'd be if I didn't get to see that, you know? And I just really hope that someone somewhere sees the aces. And for them, it's that like little glimmer of hope, that like little glimmer of like, okay, maybe that's what my life could be like if I got to be who I want to be, you know? And so I just think that, those kinds of artists are just, they're, they're priceless. They're so precious. And I really, really hope that by doing this and being outspoken and like being proud that we can be that, you know, for other young queer people. Yeah. I feel like too, you brought up a good point, Chris, of how not only is it so high stakes, just like culturally and like community wise of being in your position, but like how there was this also this idea of like, you won't be successful if you're out and talk about it. And I feel like that was a huge part, like in our early career too, of like feeling scared to do that for our success. Like, cause all we wanted to do was do the band and do music and be able to be successful doing it. And that was like a really scary thing too. Yeah. And there's even outside of a small, your small hometown, like homophobia is still rampant in, in the entertainment industry and basically every industry on the planet, you know, like there is still discrimination very much against not just gay people, but women, people of color. Like, you know, we live in this world where like, it's scary to be an artist and want to be successful, commercially successful and make good, a good living and be comfortable. And you're having people say, "Mm, you could probably be more successful if you're not out. Like you could probably be more successful if you don't use pronouns. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that you probably could because you could probably, uh, uh, you know, reach a lot bigger audience of people that feel less, you know, uh, ostracized by your queer music, you know, but we're not interested in that. 
we're not interested in the band as playing it safe and trying to be as commercially successful as we can possibly be. Like that's not important, important to us. Like what's important to us is making music that we first and foremost are obsessed with that tells our stories and then reaching the people in the community that we need to reach. Like that's, what's important to us. So, you know, when we started having those conversations, well, at first when we were younger, I think it was scary because you think, okay, I can't be successful then. And I really, really want to be successful in my band. But then you start to be like, okay, but if I can't be successful in a way that feels true to me, then that's not like even success. Yeah. And that doesn't even feel good. You know, yeah. like censoring our music and censoring the pronouns we use and censoring our stories. It's just like, what are we like? Why are we artists? That's like, the point. Yeah. That's the point. Um, and so it was a journey. It was a scary one. At first, I think we, you know, we were so young that we were coming to our identities at a slower kind of pace. So like on our first record, we didn't use any pronouns, but I think that that was just because like, we weren't even out. Like yeah. Katie wasn't even out. Elise and I were out, but we were brand new to, you know, the scene. We were like 19 years old and we were just trying to figure out our voices and artists first and foremost. But there was definitely some pressure, I would say, to not be out and to not be queer in our music. But onto the second record, you know, Katie's out at that point. Elise and I have been out for years, you know, Ken's going through her own specific journey and, and a faith transition. And like, ultimately we just got to this point where it was like, yeah, duh. Like it's just second nature. We just, these are our stories. This is the artists we want to be. And this is what's important to us. Um, and so now third record in, it's all very gay. And we couldn't be <laughs> more excited. Um, and it's, you know, we're just telling our stories. We're just telling we're just painting the picture in our songs of like who we are and what we've been through. Um, and that happens to be very gay. So here we are. Yeah. It's such a bizarre concept, which we were talking about, you know, that intersectionality where people are talking about, well, you know, being a woman, being a person of color, being in the LGBTQ community. And then when you start looking at the history of music, it's sort of like, well, how much music came not from one of those sources, you yeah. know, over time. And then you start thinking about, Wow. So all of this music that has become the, the bedrock of culture and underlies so much of, of how people understand themselves was done with, with people telling them, well, you can't do that. I mean, you can't yeah. do this, you can't do that. And it's rather shocking when you consider it because it, it's sort of like, well, why, Hey, how did, how did so many people break through? Right. And then also like, why do people keep doing that then? I mean, what more evidence does there need to be that those biases don't work other than like yeah. the history of music as, a, and, but yet it, and here you guys are, you're young people. So you're telling us that still exists. It's, it's kind of, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes wonder that I feel like I live in a bubble where I kind of think like, wow, I didn't even know they made people like that anymore. <laughs> no, it's really easy. You know, we talk about this a lot. It's really easy to create once you become an adult, right? Like you're in charge of creating your own spaces. You can move wherever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can hang out with whoever you want, right? You can cut people off whoever you want. So it's easy to kind of like make these circles that are beautiful and accepting and amazing. And, you know, we're lucky because we've done that for ourselves. You know, me, Katie and Lisa live in Los Angeles and Ken's out here all the time. And we've really surrounded ourselves now with like amazing majority of other, you know, gay and queer people. So it's like, it's easy for us to be like, ah, oh, we're set, we're good, you know? Cause it's just that, that's kind of just like human nature to just get comfortable. But then we go on tour and we're like, oh my God, we're in Missouri or we're in Kentucky or we're in, you know, wherever, right? These small towns 
specifically in the South or not even just the South, the whole country, you get out of these metropolitan cities and you find like these kids, like it's very different for them. Super Homophobia rampant. They, they come up to us and they say things like, you know, your show is the only place that I'm out. Your show is the only place that I can be with my girlfriend and hold her hand and enjoy myself and feel like myself. And thank you so much for like making that space for me. And you're like, Oh my God, like, there's so much work to do. There's so much, so much work, so many things to still be doing because we feel safe now, but like the majority of the world, it's just not the case. Yeah. And even, even not only like, even just as women, like we got called a slur on stage, like six months ago, like somewhere in the East coast, like, like there's still people who aren't okay with seeing females playing instruments on stage, like in like parts of our country. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, you get out of your bubble and you start to, we think the same thing. It's like, there can't be people like that. Right. And then you get out there and you're like, whoa, there are people like that. You know? So we fuck those. I don't know if I can swear. Can I swear? Totally swear. <laughs> Fucking swear. Let's go. You know, people like that. Ultimately at the end of the day, we don't make music for people like that. Yeah. We make music for the young us. We make music for young gay people, young queer people, young pe- people that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. Like, or just young people in general who like need a voice and need to feel heard, you know, like that's who we make music for. We're not making music for the fucker in the crowd who's calling us some shitty name, you know, like, and ultimately, you know, we don't want to appease everybody. We don't want everyone to get our music. That's not the kind of music we make. We want the people that need our music to get our music. Hey, Dr. Mike here, jumping in for a moment. Josh Lavra of our sponsor, Hope Lab, talked with me about the same idea that the ACEs are discussing. Being part of communities that embrace members of the LGBTQ community can be a twofold prospect. First, it provides a safe space for members of the LGBTQ community to be their authentic self. Second, it leads to visibility that can help others discover these communities. It's a positive cycle where being out and open in celebrating being gay, transgender, bisexual, whatever our gender or sexuality, can encourage others to follow suit, all while pushing society forward to do the same. I think it touches on the idea of visibility is important. Like when, when, when I was young trying to figure out my identity, I, I didn't have access to people who looked like me or who were openly queer or gay or, or anything. And I, I think that there's something insanely important about living up authentically as you are as a way for like society to progress two things come to mind here one is when we were building i mean you know we worked with uh, hundreds of young queer people from across the country and the willingness for these young people to want to include their story to include their pictures and um their the art that they created and just their lived experience was because they wanted to share it with other people in the hopes that it would help them I think there's this incredible hope, hopefulness and um, generosity of young queer people where they, they want their stories to be out there. And the, the second thought that comes to mind is that as a young queer person, your stories are needed. I think there, there's so much power in visibility and so much power in having yourself reflected in others or allowing others to see themselves in you. You know, when I was deciding to come out, I had a lot of questions of whether or not it was important for me to be open in public about my queerness. And after I came out and now as I've been starting to do this work so focused on queerness and mental health, 
I've had so many people reach out to say like, thank you, but then also to, to share their stories with me. And I think it's, it's the, the fact that living out in the open and sharing my story, allowing or create, creating a tool like IME with these young people and allowing them to share their stories has just continued to push the idea that um, queerness is amazing and um, it's okay to be queer and it's actually something that's worth celebrating. And I think that's such an important point because I think that because of the way society is, there's so much emphasis on, you know, sort of saying, oh, let's just get to par, you know, people, there's equality, equality, but you're talking about something that's just as powerful and just as, you know, just as important as that being part of the LGBTQ community is amazing and is wonderful. It's not just getting to the point where you're not facing discrimination. And I think that that, you know, and sometimes for people, there needs to be steps like first people need to feel safe and then they can thrive. But I think that's such an important message that the concept of the safe space is not the end. It's really a beginning to a whole nother concept that this part of someone's identity can not only be something that's okay, but something that is amazing. That's a vehicle for being amazing. And I, to me, that's such a powerful and affirming statement. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think often um, to a, a quote that Ocean Vong, uh, the poet, had shared about um, his experience with queerness, and um, he said that queerness saved his life. And he talks about this idea of queerness forcing the sense of curiosity and asking, "Is this enough for me?" And I think look, looking looking at the world around you with that lens is, "Is this enough for me? Um, is the way that I'm being treated enough for me? Is the way that?" Um, society is structured enough for me? Um, do I feel that representation is enough for me? I think asking that question and then pushing when the answer is no um, is, is so core to queerness, I think is, is truly what's pushing society in general forward. It's queer people asking that question, is this enough for me? Yeah, it's, it's not just, is it good enough? Is it great enough? You know, and that, I think that concept that that LGBTQ identity can be part of that or vehicle for that or the key to that. And it's so powerful, again, for someone who starts all the way at the point at, at being abused or discriminated against or vilified for it to realize that that there's an end game there potentially. And that I, I think that's such a powerful message that you guys are, are are giving, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I hope it's I hope it's heard loud and clear by many young queer people. And, and something on that point that, Lisa, I think you said earlier is this idea of talking to your younger self. Okay, so let, if, if, if you guys are cool with that, with that construct, okay, so here you are, you're, you're where you're at, but if you had to talk to your younger self before you knew, right? Because even, Crystal, the things that you're saying about like, I know I'm going to be miserable. It's like, okay, that, that sounds great now because it worked, but you were living in Utah, which you're telling me in a small town in Utah, it was not like you were surrounded by people in the LGBTQ community. There was all this negativity around it. Right. And it's like, it's, it wasn't a guarantee that, that that choice was going to necessarily work. And obviously I'm not saying that that means it was the wrong choice. It's the right choice. But what I want to try to help people with is there's people who are sitting out there right now who have not gotten there yet, right? And it's the concept of like that younger self. If you guys were talking to them and saying like, all right, with the with the 
knowledge that I have now, here are the steps that I would take to try to help to get from where maybe you guys were originally to where you are now. So that other people can, can at least think about that path. Yeah. I have actually, I found this YouTuber when I was like 16 shout out. Her name is Rose Dix D I X to clarify um, Rose Dix. And she is a lesbian woman and she's married to her partner who's named Rosie. And they were like massive on YouTube uh, within the, the uh, lesbian and, and queer community. And when I was first coming to terms with the fact that I was gay, I was terrified, like so scared. I was like, there's just no way. Like I can, I, I, how am I supposed to be out? What am I supposed to do? Like that all these things going on in my head. And for a long time, that's what I want to make clear to you is it's like, that wasn't an overnight thing where I was like, um, I'm going to be miserable or not. Let's be happy. Like that wasn't the case at all. You know, like my entire teen years were like riddled with depression and anxiety and hopelessness and not knowing what the future looks like for me. And when I found Rose, she made this video about coming out and I was slowly kind of chipping away, trying to find queer media a little bit, like on YouTube. And like when I was in the privacy of my own bedroom, right. Trying to figure out, are there, that's one of the things like the internet, we're so lucky that we live in the age of the internet, especially for young queer people. Cause like you can search that shit and get representation immediately. Like that is such a game changer. And so I remember being on my phone and I, I was on YouTube, you know, kind of searching and finding YouTubers like who were out and kind of trying to figure out, you know, try to get some representation. And I found this video, she was talking about coming out and she was talking about how her coming out experience, it took her a long time to get to the point where she could verbally say I'm gay you know, two years of like, she's like, for, it took me her like two years from being like in my head, I think I'm gay, to like looking at herself in the mirror and being like, I'm gay, you know, and, and she, and what she encouraged, it changed my life as well. She was like, it doesn't, you don't have to go so fast. Like, it's okay to just like sit in it and talk to yourself about it and kind of like get comfortable and slowly kind of start unfolding that story to yourself. It doesn't have to be overnight, all of a sudden you're out and excited. Like, that's just not the way it works. And that like really, really helped me because all of a sudden I started to be like, oh, I can, I can just foster this relationship with myself and my identity. I don't have to tell everybody. I don't have to, you know, make, make it so concrete. Like I can just play with my identity and get to know myself and, uh, you know, get to reach out to other artists or people or, or before I ever, come out or ever do anything. And that helped me so much. I just took the pressure off of myself. And then I started to slowly get like confident about it and be like, Oh, like I'm gay. Like, what does that mean for me? Like, Oh, I'm going to get to like experience relationships for the first time. I'm going to get a love in a way that I want to love. I'm going to get to be myself. Like, and then it started to get exciting, but like, I didn't come out or say anything about it for like a good year or more after that. You know, it, it was my own personal kind of figuring out like plucking these like layers of, of who I was and it was my journey and I got to do it the way that I wanted to do it not the way that anyone else wanted you know so that was I thought that was a really special piece of advice and it was really pivotal for me as a young queer person and I would say I 100% that that advice take that like that's one of the best pieces of advice I could give is just like it's yours you don't have to tell anybody if you're not ready like just sit on it with you and get comfortable yeah, and I, I think that concept, there's a couple of things in there I just want to highlight. You know, one, one of the things I'll always say 
when I'm working with people um, is always judge your inner monologue as if someone else were saying it to you. And I think that whenever I'm working with people who are coming out or transitioning, there's there's this like kind of dual pressure because it's like you so badly want to get there, whatever there is. But that 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 patience is so unbelievably important because, yeah. you know, you think about it, if someone else were saying to you, it's like, well, I mean, come on, like now, you know, you're gay, come out, come out. It's sort of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like if someone else said that to you, you'd be like, hold on a second, like that is not respectful of this process. And I think that the thing that you're talking about is the idea that it's it's yours. You know, you spend your whole life with other people telling you what your gender identity is, what your, you know, what your sexuality should be, you know, how you should feel about yourself in general, that it's so important for people to be like, it's mine, to nobody else's and to be patient about it. I think that's such yeah. an important point. A hundred percent. Like you have to get empowered. I think this is also important too. It's like, I think it was a night and day difference for me getting empowered before I came out because once I came out, there was nothing anyone could have told me it, you know what I mean? It didn't hurt that bad anymore because I had gotten to the point where like I had cultivated more self-love than I had ever had before. And so if someone was going to come at me, I was like, I, I already know who I am. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm never going to hundred percent be there but I know better who I am than I did two years ago. And if I would have come out two years ago when I was like fumbly and not sure and people were, you know, someone was awful to me, I think that would have put my identity a lot more into question, you know, and I would have felt a lot more scared and a lot more triggered and a lot more unsure. But like, I started to get excited and empowered on my own. Like, fuck yeah. Like I get to be who I want to be. Like I get it. I'm gay and I get to love how I want to love. You no. Know, and I get to experience those things that everybody should get to experience. So what does that look like for me? And then once I came out, it was like, I felt a lot more sense of like empowerment of just like a, yeah, this is who I am. And I, I'm, I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to be who I want to be and who I am. And nothing that you can say to me is going to change that path because I've already done a lot of this internal work to get to the point that I could even tell you this. So like, you're not going to come in and kind of like derail all this self-work I've already done, you know? So I think that was really important for me to just get to that point where like when I did say it and I did speak it, I was like, yeah, this is what's up. This is what's going on. This is who I am. Um, <laughs> what, so what about, what about the rest of you guys? Like what, what kind of things would you say, you know, we're talking about some of these ideas of patience and, and it's yours. What other things would, would you guys say for somebody, again, talking to your younger self about just, you know, kind of thinking about this and potentially coming out? Yeah, I think, you know, once you feel like you're at that point where you're ready to verbalize where you're at, I think just find even just one person that you feel comfortable enough to talk to. And I think that is going to make a huge difference finding allies, you know, whether it's other queer people or people that you know or feel extremely confident will accept you and not judge you. I think that's the next thing is building a community around you that supports you and uplifts you and understands you and finding other people like you. Like, I think once you, especially if you're in a situation where you don't maybe feel like, your peers or maybe your immediate family or the community that's already around you will accept you. I think it's really important to go find the community that's going to accept you because they're definitely out there. And like Crystal said, you know, thank God we have the internet now. And that was a huge resource 
to us when we were younger, but I think even more so now there's even more representation more than ever. So finding people near you or even just online that you can confide in and be open with, that's going to just build that confidence. And it's going to show you quickly that, yeah, you can live the life you want to live and you can be supported and you can have all the things that you deserve to have, you know, because that was huge for me. And I know for the girls too, you know, when I was first coming out, you know, me and Crystal had each other, which was huge. We were so lucky, you know, having an older sibling that was also queer and going through the same experience I was having was like a miracle, you know, felt really lucky. And then I also, you know, my best friend at the time ended up also being gay and his best friend was gay. And then we kind of became this little clique of like secret queer kids at school who were just like out to each other. And then, you know, we found more people that were accepting and cool and allies and also queer. And we just built this big friend group of like, you know, we just built a community around ourselves. And then that just made us feel even more confident and safe that, you know, especially once we got out of those spaces, like, you know, I wasn't comfortable to come out in high school because I was surrounded by a bunch of people that I knew were not going to be cool with that because they were very open about not being cool with that. So once I was out of that environment, you know, I think that's fine too. If you feel like you're in a space where it's not safe to be out, I think you have every right to protect yourself and, you know, wait till you can remove yourself from that space. I don't think there's any pressure to like come out in those spaces. If you don't feel ready, if you want to, that's amazing and definitely applauded. It's very brave, but I also think it's totally fine if you want to wait until you're in a position where you feel safe and empowered to do so. Can we talk a little bit about just how to deal with, with more direct bullying or abuse or, or, you know, again, indirect or direct harmful experiences, because that's something that as you guys know, is, is derails a lot of people, you know, it goes from the place of being like, Hey, I've got my own process. I'm being patient and figuring myself out. I'm going to find a community to I'm terrified, or I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel about myself and sort of how, how does one take in when people are directly or indirectly just challenging, you know, what you know is authentically you and you know is authentically right for you. Yeah. I mean, we by no means are the professionals on, on that. I think that, um, that really comes down to like more than anything, our, like our teachers and our schools and stuff like that, like continuing to create safe spaces for young people to figure out who they are. You know, we were lucky. I think that we had a principal and some different people in our life that just like really were loving to us. Um, we weren't out at the time, but I think there was like, you know, we had safe spaces that we had found through friends or through certain family. Or I think that like a, a teacher or a mentor or those people can be like the absolute difference for young kids and just trying to always like, you know, there's like a queer alliance at schools now, like we didn't have that before. And that's really, really important and special. I think that's something that's really happening in Utah right now. There's like, you know, more and more of these like intentional safe spaces being created. And I think when we can be aware of like, you know, of our teachers and of different people that like have the control to create safe spaces. Like those conversations need to be happening of like, you know, the yeah. room stepping up and making sure and doing their best to ensure that people are safe, yeah. you know, um, in these spaces. And we're specifically talking about school, of course, because the majority of young people in this country and in the world go to, go to school. And yeah. So I think that that's a big one. Yeah. I just feel like it shouldn't be like a burden for these young queer people to carry on their own too. Like, I feel like it's 
the responsibility of community as a whole and like everyone outside of it to, you know, like raise kids who aren't going to bully queer kids, be, you know, fighting for change within your community. Like it's an issue that everyone needs to be a part of. And it's not just something that these, you know, like young queer kids should have to deal with on their own. I think it's something that everyone needs to get passionate about. And it's cool seeing how that is changing more. And like, yeah, our, where we're from has changed so much in Utah, but there's still like so much work that needs to be done. And like, yeah, it's whether you, you know, someone directly or like have someone in your life directly that is queer. I feel like it's just something that everyone needs to be a part of and be passionately about. Yeah. And like, you know, also just not putting up like what Kenneth's saying, like not putting up with it if you're a peer as well, because I remember, you know, there was specifically a time when I think I was like a sophomore in high school that I was sitting in a circle of girls my age and we were like, you know, doing a project or something and they were just like chatting nonchalantly about how one of their aunts was a lesbian and she brought her partner to their family reunion and they were all talking about how creepy it was and it was gross and they were weirded out by it. They're like, yeah, it was so freaky. And I was just like silently ingesting this information, you know, the super homophobic information as I was like, meanwhile, trying to come to terms with my sexuality. And, you know, suddenly the girl next to me was like, hey, I think like who was their friend? You know, there's like a group of girls that were all friends. And I was like, it just, you know, kind of quietly listening to them. And one of the girls just piped up and was like, hey, like, I think gay people are fine. And I think what you guys are saying is like really messed up. And like, I don't think that's fair. Like I have a lot of friends who are queer and like, I also have a cousin who's gay and like, I love them. And I think that, I don't think they're gross and I don't think they're weird. And I think they're totally normal. And she just like totally shut it down. And the girls like kind of just like shut up after that. And that was huge for me to just like, you know, I didn't even say anything. They didn't know I was gay. And to, you know, just to have a peer that I knew was an ally and that was willing to stand up and say like, hey, fuck off, basically. Like, what are you talking about? What you're saying is fucked up. That made a huge difference for me. And I remember even like a few days or I think it was like a year or so later, I just still remember that that still stuck out to me. And I just like sent her a message and I was like, hey, that was like actually really pivotal for me when I was figuring out my sexuality that you did that. I know it probably seemed really small to you and you don't remember it, but I really remembered that, you know, when I was listening to my peers be really homophobic to see her stand up to them was and shut them down and have them kind of feel embarrassed that they were speaking like that. That went a long way for me, a young queer person, you know, coming to terms with my identity. I think, I think, you know, Lisa, what you're talking about is you're talking about these, these smaller interactions and how important those are. And Crystal, you were talking about the schools and, and Ken, you were talking about the communities in general. And and you guys are all talking about these sort of different entrance points where things could either go really badly for somebody if there's a lack of acceptance, or it's an opportunity now for things to go better. And I think Elisa, what you're talking about is just, you know, that one time. I mean, you know, in in a sea of what sounds like were a lot of not so great times, that one time made such a difference. And that's, you know, that's something I would, I would encourage anyone, even if you're not part of the LGBTQ community per se, but you're an ally is that, you know, there's, there's always a way to make things a little bit better, you know, like checking in with someone or like Elisa, if people want to step up and say something, but there's always things to be done because unfortunately this comes at people who are, are thinking about their identity and their sexuality from all angles. And while that's horrible because the problems come from all angles, it does create opportunities for solutions 
from all angles, because, yeah. you know, and I think that all these different points that, you, that you're talking about, even, you know, adding the music, you know, that, that's another one that, you know, it's already, we've had like a few in this conversation. There's so many more, there's parents, there's, you know, et cetera. But I, I you know, I appreciate you all talking about it from these different angles, because I think it's important for people to hear just, you know, how bad it could be, but also how potentially good it could be, you know, if, if enough people are on board. Yeah. And, and I think what Ken said is just so true, you know, like with any problem like this, where there's a minority that needs to be protected, it's not solely on the minority to like protect themselves. It yeah. can't be, you know, okay. like it has to be a communal effort, it has to be people caring and being like, you know what, we need to make wherever we are a safe space for anyone to feel comfortable, to be themselves um, and to feel, you know, like they belong. And I think that goes such a long way as a kid when you're in those spaces like sports leagues and school and all that stuff. It's like the difference with between like having someone who sees you and makes you feel comfortable, like a mentor or a teacher, or, you know, whatever, you know, to wrap it up, essentially, I just think, I think that was a really good point that Ken said. It's like, it's so much more about the communal effort than it is just specifically on like the young queer person. You know, and that's, and that's something, you know, when people, let's just take the concept of bullying, right. As an example, as one, one way that, that this can happen, you know, obviously the person who's being bullied is the one at that moment who has the most problems, but everybody who's there sees that there's a bully. There's a person who's being bullied. There's a bunch of onlookers who aren't doing anything. There's an administration who may not care. And those mental models get in people's heads in general, because everybody, when you see that, you may not be bullied right then, and it may not be about that particular issue, but you now know that there's a world in which that can happen. There's yeah. a world in which people can bully and be bullied and people are going to like look in. And so what you're talking about, about as a community effort, people need to understand that these experiences are traumatic for everybody involved because yeah. everybody then knows that there is that there is a world where bullying happens and it's painful. Obviously the person who is the, the target at that moment is bad, but we're talking about as a community, why it's so important. Taking care of bullying is a community effort. Taking care of prejudice is a community effort. And I think you guys are so right in seeing all the different levels that need to get involved. hundred percent, you know, like Elisa said, you know, being in school, like, and, and being those young experiences in your community or at church, you know, we went to church all growing up and stuff like those are very transformative times and years and they really paint to you what's going to fly and what's not, you know? And I, I remember being in, in high school too. We had a friend and she came out as bisexual and the ridicule she went through, like she had to like switch schools and stuff. It was so bad. As a young creepers, I'm like, okay, I'm not coming out. Then. Yeah. Like, Whoa, like not safe here, you know? And, and I think that as well, you know, growing up really religious, we would see that as well someone who leaves the church, the way that they get treated, it's like, okay, uh, I, I have to stay put then because it's not even about what I believe anymore. It's not even about who I am anymore. It's like fully just about safety and social safety and feeling like I'm not just going to be looked at as like an alien. Yeah. In my, and and you lose your whole community. Like that's like just fundamentally as a human, that's like the least safe thing that could ever happen to you is like losing your community. Yeah. yeah. So it's a hundred, you know, it, it is very much about making a community safe. And that yeah. starts with specifically the adults in the community because they set, yeah. they're the ones that set the way things go. 
You know, we need to be looking up to like the adults in the community as the ones who are responsible for setting the tone of what goes down in certain towns or certain, you know. That's a good, I mean, yeah. And with school too, I, I grew up playing sports and I remember like in teams and stuff, like when I was, I think I was probably like 14, one of the club teams uh, came out that the coach was a lesbian and she was like, had a partner and a lot of girls left that team because the coach was queer. And I remember just feeling like, like what if I wanted to coach a team one day or something, you know, loving soccer and loving sports and like not having the opportunity because I, you know, was gay and just feeling really insecure by that. And also being, you know, when you're playing sports and you're surrounded by a lot of girls all the time, the misconception of just like, you're in love with every girl because you're gay kind of thing is, is mm. can be really intense and can, you know, uh, people can make you feel like you're predatory or something. Yeah. It's, it's like you're immediately suddenly seen as potentially predatory yes. and you're like, you know, you're like a kid. It's just, you know, it's, it's really ridiculous and, and not to cut you off. Oh no, no. So if I, I, I just think too, like with school, I think there's no massive problem in like sports and community like that. When you feel like, one of the places that should be your safest place could also be your least safe space Mm -hmm. is, is really sad that that happens. And I think it's starting to get better and we're starting to talk about it more. And, you know, those, those Mm -hmm. misconceptions are starting to be just like squashed and talked about, which is good. But for me growing up, I remember thinking like my, the place I loved the most could very easily become the place that I felt the least safe, like really fast. And that's why we're, you know, we're in a band. That's, I think, truthfully what was propelling us from the time we were kids is like our band became our safe space we created it together and you know band practice in the basement where we just got to be together and like we loved each other and accepted each other and we weren't you know as kids we weren't out to each other or going through things that we've been through but there was this knowing of kind of like coming together and being holding this space for each other And I think that's what made our band, like why we've been together for so long and why, you know, it feels so important to us. It's like, it started out as our own safe space when we didn't have one where we could just play music and feel like the best versions of ourselves and feel empowered together and be doing something that we loved so much. And we felt like we were really good at, you know? So I think that ACEs itself started out as like this, like safe space, safe ground for us as like young queer women and, and figuring out who we were and, and navigating that through being from a a hometown that wasn't always safe for us. I just think like, just kind of going back to what we were saying before too, like, I feel like for me, you know, not being queer, but growing up where we did, like, it was so the moment that they told me that they were was like, I felt so bad that I just didn't know. And just thinking back on like all the little things I could have done or said differently or whatever. And I, it's just like, a shame that it has to be that way where you don't really care about it until someone close to you comes out or like someone close to you and your family experiences that. And I just think it's important to get to a point where it doesn't have to be that way. And like, everyone cares about it. And this goes into like so many different issues, like, you know, whether it's like with gun rights or with racism or different things, like it just needs to be an issue that people can just care about without having someone close to them, like suffering in that way. And yeah, I just think it's important to try and care about those issues and like if you don't know someone who is gay like try and like know more about the community and know what you can do and like figure out ways to help make some gay friends 
Make some gay friends. They're the best. No, kind of friends. Listen, listen to people. Listen to people that aren't like you. I think that was like a big yeah. too. You know, with these last couple of years too, with um, Black Lives Matter. You know, I just was mind blown that there were so many people that just like wouldn't actually listen to black people. You know, yeah. like so many white people in these small towns that just like like you know, listen. This is a huge issue. You don't have an opinion on it if you haven't experienced it. So you need to just listen to people that are going through this. And be there to help them rather than arguing with them, you know, and the same thing goes with queer issues as well. It's like so many people just don't want to hear anything or see any struggle that doesn't affect them. Yeah. yeah. I think that's like not a way to live or, or be part of a community or. It's really toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Really toxic. And, and I think that that's, you know, bring it back to what you guys were talking about or Crystal was talking about with Tegan and Sarah, you know, Unfortunately, because it would be better if this happened in our general lives, you know, our music is the first place where we actually learn to listen in any kind of real way, you know, to listen without judgment, to just let whatever's happening be said and be heard. And that's why it's so important. I think that's why so much social change happens in part through music is because there's this very thing that that you guys are talking about is like, we don't we don't listen to each other for the most part, but we do listen to our music. And yeah. if that can at least be the beginning of understanding, hey, this is by the way how you listen. You know how you, you know, put it put on a song and then you just go the whole way through and you don't judge it every 15 seconds or criticize it. And you know, like that's actually a way that you could think about people too. Yeah, and yeah. as we talked about a little bit before the show, you know, just very much appreciate. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I do not live in a community that has these issues, although I'm sure that it exists to some degree, but, you know, we have a giant rainbow in the center of our town and it's a very different experience. And I see it with my kids and how they understand these topics and the casual nature of talking about someone who's gay or bi or this religion or trans or whatever it is. It's just, it's so matter of fact. And I think that you know, it's like what you guys are talking about. I think that's, that's the direction that we need to be going in where we just kind of listen and accept. And I really appreciate you guys, not only for your music, but also just being out here talking about these issues because you've seen the effect it had on you and it's, it's paying it forward. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much for for having us on here and letting us, you know, tell our stories and, and, um, you know, we feel lucky to, to get to do that and to have a platform like this. So thank you so much. Yeah. No. So best of luck with your already fantastic careers. I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Thank Thank you. So there it is. The Aces talking about the role of community in the lives of LGBTQ plus people. Now, the powerful effect of community can really be a double edged sword. On the one hand, members of the Aces talked about how horribly damaging anti-gay bias can be and actually was in their lives. One of the most frightening parts of the conversation was just how many different ways and from how many different people the band could experience this bias and discrimination. It really highlights how terrifying and painful it can be for someone in the LGBTQ community to live knowing that they could be rejected and bullied by their community. What the band also talked about was that just as there are so many ways a community can be damaging, conversely, there are so many opportunities for people to be supportive, protective, and empowering. And I think the band and their music really embraces a call to action, inviting everyone to find ways of being supportive of people in the LGBTQ community. 
And if we are someone who is gay, bisexual, or transgender, there are so many ways that we can start taking care of ourselves and seeking supportive communities. That includes seeking out mental health care if we have been the victim of bias and discrimination. And for allies, we can try to intervene when someone is being unkind or bullying to members of the LGBTQ community. We can reach out to friends or family who may be feeling isolated because of their sexuality or gender identity, letting them know that we are here for support. We can champion causes that support the LGBTQ plus community. Or maybe we can just support openly LGBTQ plus artists. Whatever we choose to do, it is so important that we work to make the world a safer and more accepting place for members of the LGBTQ plus community. A world where we understand and celebrate diversity rather than attempt to avoid and suppress it. I want to thank the ACEs for this wonderful conversation and Josh of Hope Lab for taking the time to talk about the concept of community and how Hope Lab is addressing this issue with I, Me, Guide. This season of Going There is brought to you by the fine folks at the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson, who never stop working to create a future where disease is a thing of the past. This month's episodes, focused on LGBTQ plus mental health, are specially presented by I, Me, created by Hope Lab. IME Guide is a free, research-backed mental health tool built for and with LGBTQ plus teens looking for support and help in affirming their identity and learning practical ways to cope with stress that is helpful, relevant, inclusive, and joyful. Find it at IME Guide. That's the letters I-M-I dot guide. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads.